0: to uh, get us started because we've got a big topic today so if you can find your seats and uh, uh, I'm Mary Shillington I'm the moderator today and I'd like to welcome you all uh, here today a few housekeeping things as usual but for those of you who are new uh, here today and we have a number of students here that are are uh, doing a research project it's part of the research and media is that right from the college, so uh, welcome to all that group here they're uh, uh they might slip out to get uh uh wendy's in between because they can't afford the lunch but anyway <laughs> uh but we w- you're very welcome to be here we're glad you're here uh the uh uh the i'd like to say thank you to the various um uh, groups who are help support us, support Shaw t v uh and of course the um the the uh um uh food the country kitchen catering i'm going and and to uh, ckxu FM radio 88.3 and we've got somebody from uh, the herald here as well uh so anyway the uh, we we're, we we're appreciate that and if people can be a little quieter uh, that would be good thank you uh we appreciate the support from the university of leftbridge as well uh so that you know, I, I think I've spoken to most of the students. But we have uh, half an hour for the talk with with from Jill, uh, Jill Manning, and then half an hour for your lunch. And you're encouraged to discuss the, the what you heard and think of questions as you uh, discuss at your table. And then there'll be the Q and A from uh, one to one thirty. So, uh, the uh, the topic is. Uh, as most of you know, does Lethbridge need a supervised site for the consumption of harmful drugs? Uh, it's a very uh, important topic uh, as we look at how many people are are uh, affected by the fentanyl and various drugs. And we've got a great person t- to do this, uh, Jill Manning, who is a graduate of UofL, uh on her... Uh, Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and she's worked for 10 years in the various human service fields and she's been two years as the Director of ARCHES. Now if you're like me, I didn't know what, I know of ARCHES but didn't know what it stood for. AIDS, Outreach, Community Harm, Reduction, Education Support. So that's quite a mouthful, no wonder they called it ARCHES. Uh, And uh, in addition, Jill is a Rotarian and is currently President of the Rotary Club of Blackbridge Urban Spirits. So Jill is going to give us a very interesting talk and show us where uh, where the site is and some of the designs and so on of that. So I welcome Jill Manning here to the
1: speakers. Hello, everyone. I'm a bit of a wanderer, so I'm gonna be mobile here with the mic. Um, So thank you for the introduction. I've been asked to request that everyone turn their cell phones off, please. Uh, So thank you for the introduction. I am Jill Manning, the Managing Director at Arches. As stated, I've been with Arches for two years now. In that two years, we've seen a tremendous amount of growth. Uh, When I was first hired at Arches, we only had four full-time employees, and we currently are at 18, and we've just hired another 35 employees to help us with the supervised consumption facility. So we've seen a huge amount of growth. When I was first hired, we were known as the Lethbridge HIV Connection, and then we've changed our name to Arches since. They are the same organization, same services provided. As we've expanded, we've expanded our services, but it is still the same organization, and we've been present in Lethbridge since, uh, I want to say, 1988. So Arches has been a presence in the community for many, many years. So today I'm here to speak to you about supervised consumption. As many of you may know, we have recently been approved for the supervised consumption facility to be implemented in the old former Pulse building or the Roadhouse nightclub prior to that. Um, So that's very close to the shelter, and that's not by accident. Many of the individuals who we will be supporting are homeless or street-involved, and that's the population that these services are oriented towards. So today I'm going to chat with you all about what supervised consumption services are, Uh, why they're important, what they'll look like in Lethbridge, and some statistics both locally as to why Lethbridge needs these services, as well as when we look at studies that come from around the world. Supervised consumption services are a fairly new idea in North America here. Uh, You may be familiar with the supervised consumption facility called Insight that is located in downtown Vancouver. Uh, That was the first and only supervised consumption facility in North America for many, many years. Only within the past two years or so has this been a conversation that we've looked at expanding those services across Canada and currently there have been 35 sites that have been approved across our nation. So supervised consumption services and why they're important. I apologize because probably most of you can't see any of the things that I'm reading off of here but I do invite you to come and wander by and take a look maybe as we're eating or, or once we're finished with the question period if you'd like to get more info. Uh, so medically supervised consumption services reduce many of the risks that are associated with street drug use. Uh, public consumption is associated with a major increase in all of the known risks of drug use. So when people don't have a space where they can use, whether that's their home, whether it's a supervised consumption facility like this, we know that overdose at risk increases quite dramatically. The reason for that is obvious. If I'm shooting up or injecting underneath the Stafford Bridge, which we know is a hot spot here locally, Um, then A, there may be no one around to call 911 if I do enter an overdose, and B, even if someone calls 911, by the time they respond and get under there, and it's quite a, a steep... Uh, surface to try and climb down there, that it may be too late. So having a facility like this uh, very dramatically reduces the overdose rates that we're seeing. When we look at Alberta overdose rates, um, not since, and even we've surpassed the uh, HIV epidemic that was taking place in the early 1980s, we're losing more people currently to overdose than we did at any point of the HIV crisis. Uh, When we look really as a, a Western kind of civilized society, not since the Black Plague, has there really been anything that has affected people on a widespread basis like this? It's the largest public health crisis that we've experienced in modern society. Uh, In addition to that, the transmission of hepatitis C and HIV, we know that those rates are very much related to the inability for people to have safe facilities where they can use, clean facilities where they can use, as well as access to clean supplies, so sterile needles, sterile inhalation kits or pipes, those things dramatically reduce the rates of HIV and hepatitis C transmission. And then lastly, uh, even if I'm not sharing a needle, if I'm reusing the same needle, they're only intended for one-time use. Once I've reused a needle, it's no longer sterile. So that can lead to very severe bacterial infections. Um, Those may start as as rather benign, so things like abscesses at the injection site. But given time, and you also have to understand that this population, street-involved and homeless folks, they're not likely to walk into a mainstream healthcare facility like a walk-in clinic or an emergency room they're not likely to access those services when they have a simple infection. Instead, what oftentimes ends up happening is that simple infection then exacerbates over time and eventually that person's body may give out on them. So then someone calls 911 and they get admitted into hospital and are in hospital for four to six weeks on an IV drug transfusion for antibiotics. That's a huge cost to our healthcare system. If instead of that, we had someone, if I was an intravenous drug user and I entered this facility, someone might, one of our registered nurses who's supervising my consumption might say, hey, Jill, that looks pretty gross. What's happening with your arm? And I say, yeah, you know, I think I have an infection. And we say, well, why don't we write you some antibiotics for that? And a simple prescription of antibiotics can circumvent what otherwise might cause our health, cost our health care facilities four to six weeks' stay. So those are, are three of the primary mandates of supervised consumption. To reduce overdose, to reduce the transmission of hepatitis C and HIV, and to reduce the other bacterial infections that are oftentimes associated with unsterile drug use. Uh, so clean, safe places to consume drugs dratic- dramatically reduce all of these risks, and they additionally provide opportunities to engage with the people who are taking part in these activities. So similarly to the fact that someone who's street involved or homeless isn't likely to access a walk-in clinic or an emergency room, they often aren't very likely to go into an Alberta Health Services type of facility where it's a tower and someone in a suit might be trying to talk to them about their substance use or their dependencies. Uh, Many times there's a perception within these populations of judgment and mistreatment, and trust is a really difficult thing for this population. So if if supervised consumption enables them to come in and build those relationships and gain that rapport and that trust with folks, then if and when there is a day when they say, you know, I'm tired of this lifestyle, I wanna get out of this, then they at least have someone to speak to to help facilitate that. Because currently, if I'm using under the bridge and I have a bad day and I say, you know, I'd really like to go to detox or treatment, if I have no way to access those applications and I don't know what the appropriate treatment is, So for example, if I'm an Aboriginal female who has a long history of trauma and abuse at the hands of men probably not a great idea to send me to a treatment facility that's co-ed and that's based on a westernized model. We know that those success rates aren't going to be as high so our addictions counselors on site if someone comes in and utilizes our services in order to consume their drugs and then they say you know what I'm tired of this I want I want some help I want to get out of this then we're able to streamline them to those appropriate services and we know that those are much more effective and beneficial to them. Um, We know that within uh, supervised consumption facilities around the world many studies have been done. Uh, These facilities have existed in Europe since 1986. So we're looking at three decades worth of studies. Uh, We also had an opportunity, there were five members of the Executive Leaders Coalition, uh, ourselves, the police force, uh, Fire EMS, and McMahon Youth and Family Services, sent representatives over to Europe in February, March of 2017. And we viewed 10 supervised consumption facilities in 10 different communities in four countries because they've been doing this for a long time. So we got some tips and tricks of the trade that informed our policy and procedure and our operational guidelines so that we could be following best practice and make sure that we're doing this as effectively as possible. Uh, We know from all of those studies that if a a client is involved in supervised consumption, it actually increases uptake to treatment by 30% because otherwise those folks have no way to access those services. So that's a significant statistic. Um, When we look at the benefits of supervised consumption, uh, obviously there are fewer deaths through overdose. That's the primary goal. We want to save lives. We want to prevent people from dying. Additional to that, we have our increased uptake into primary care and treatment. So that's things like detox, treatment, recovery. Uh, We also, incidentally, and this this people don't oftentimes understand or believe this statistic, uh, but we actually see an increase in public safety and a reduction in petty theft around the facility. So, and the reasons for that are, uh, and we see this at Arches where we currently are. Right now we're located at 1206 Sixth Ave South, so it's in a residential neighborhood. It just looks like a home. It's an unmarked business so that we can protect people's confidentiality. Uh, we're directly across the street from a daycare, uh, and we're on a major thoroughfare. Sixth Ave is one of the, the largest thoroughfares in Lethbridge. Um, people, when they're driving by, don't see hordes of people and masses of people doing you know nefarious things out on the streets. Uh, and the reason for that is, that we have found that when you treat people with respect who don't commonly get treated with respect that they really deeply appreciate that and that they pay you back with respect in kind so these folks have nowhere to go through the day Uh, the shelter here in lethbridge closes down through the day because understandably they have to complete their cleaning tasks through the day So if I'm homeless or street-involved currently and I'm staying at the shelter, through the days, I'm just left to wander. So I wander through the downtown core, I hang out in Galt Gardens, I go to the public library or to Lethbridge Centre or Park Place Mall, and I may consume my drugs in those facilities. So then we see a huge uptake in needle debris, and I know many of you in this room probably have experienced that yourselves. We've had to implement a needle pickup hotline, and if you're unfamiliar with that, um, we can give out that information as well later. Uh, so we have a hotline now that you can call from 9 a.m. until 9 p.m. if you find a needle on the street. That's something that two years ago we didn't need. We weren't seeing this volume of, inter- I- of injection drug use and intravenous drug use on our streets. So right now people have nowhere to go. Uh, once you give them somewhere to go, then you're no longer dealing with needles all over the street. So that's an increase to public health and safety and an increase to community safety. Um, Similarly, people don't rob the buildings next door to the place that they consider like a home to them. Um, If they're respected and this is the place, the only place where they can go and they can hang out and they're treated well and they have relationships, um, actually there's an inverse relationship where crime actually tends to be deterred from that area. The joke at, at Arches is always that our staff, our vehicles are the safest vehicles in town because These clients know that they're ours, and they respect us, and they don't want to do any harm. The same thing happens at a supervised consumption facility. Uh, When we look at costs, so a lot of the time, I hear the argument of taxpayer dollars, and I'm not comfortable with my taxpayer dollars going to enabling drug use. That's a different argument, the enabling, and we'll get to that. But when we look at from just purely a financial perspective, if we don't even consider anything else that I say today. Um, There were two studies done, one in Canada and one in Australia. The Canadian study showed that for every dollar that's spent on harm reduction services, so those are things like needle distribution programs, sexual education programs, supervised consumption programs, for every dollar that's spent on harm reduction, it saves five from our overall healthcare system. The Australian study actually showed that for every dollar spent, it saves seven dollars from the overall healthcare system. Um, A lot of times supervised consumption services are seen as very reactionary. Um, It's a response to an already existing problem. That's true, but there's also a lot of preventative and proactive stuff that takes place at these facilities. So in terms of dollars, when we look at the cost of someone who is hepatitis C positive, and the estimated statistic is that about 70% of intravenous drug users are in fact hepatitis C positive. So if you're sharing needles, it won't take long before you contract hepatitis C a lot of people don't realize that there are actually six different strains of hepatitis C. So while there is a cure for most of those strains, for four out of six of those, those strains, each one of those treatment courses costs $65,000. So hypothetically speaking, I might contract genotype one of hepatitis C, then be treated for that at a cost of $65,000 to our healthcare system. And yes, I'm then immune to genotype one, but I might contract strains two, three, four, five, or six, and require those treatments over and over and over again. So the prevention of sharing needles really does help in reducing those numbers. Uh, Similarly, when we look at HIV lifetime treatment costs, it's $1.3 million per client. So those are some significant costs. In addition to that, uh, the costs of just going into the emergency room, being treated in the emergency room, is $200 per visit, before you even, you know, are taken out of the emergency room. So then when we look at those costs and we take into consideration that like I said, Lethbridge Regional Hospital is seeing 24% higher volume of visits due to opioid related incidences than anywhere else in our province. So this is really a unique statistic to Lethbridge. Our hospitals and our emergency systems are really stressed right now with ambulance calls having to go and respond to overdoses with people coming into the emergency room with repetitive overdoses. A facility like this prevents those systems from having to be burdened by those costs and by those, those time, that time management as well. Uh, if you call an ambulance and the, the knowledge is, so in Lethbridge, our fire and EMS are responding to between four and 11 calls due to opioid overdose every day. So if we think that that's not affecting our wait times when we have cardiac arrest or difficulty breathing or things like that, Um, Similarly, you go to the emergency room because your kid has broken their arm, and to have to see overdose after overdose come in on ambulances, and because it's a triage-based system and those are considered higher need, that also is going to really increase your wait time. Um, So we know that all of these things, uh, supervised consumption services do mitigate these costs. So another important thing is that I often hear that supervised consumption services um, are enabling and I kind of insinuated about this earlier uh, that it's just a place for people to come and use their drugs and it's a shooting gallery for lack of a better term that people come they use and then they leave. So there are some facilities that are like that. Uh, We will not be one of them. So all of the services that Arches currently provides, will be moving over to this facility as well. For those of you who aren't familiar with Arches, what that looks like is we have a housing team. So we operate the Housing First clinical team. If you're homeless in Lethbridge, uh, you have to go through a centralized intake process through what's called home base. Home base, then, based on your intake, will streamline you to the most appropriate services. We operate the Housing First clinical team. On that team, we have a justice specialist, we have an Aboriginal peer coordinator, uh, we have an addiction specialist, we have a registered nurse, we have a team lead, and we have four housing specialists. So That team is really oriented towards the most difficult to house folks in Lethbridge, people who have concurrent mental health and addictions, people who have extensive criminal justice issues, people who experience chronic homelessness, so people who it's really difficult to obtain and also maintain, (coughs) excuse me, obtain and maintain housing. Um, so that team will be on site, so that folks who are homeless might have those opportunities to connect. Uh, we have addiction specialists on site, so like I said, they can connect them to the most appropriate services for them as an individual. Uh, we have outreach, education, harm reduction services. So you may have seen folks who are walking through the community in their bright yellow jackets in the evenings, sometimes, uh, specifically within the downtown core. Those are our teams. They're connecting with these populations. They're building relationships, providing referrals, making sure that people are taking care of themselves. They're distributing harm reduction supplies, also things like granola bars, bottles of water, mitts, that sort of thing. Um, So all of those services will also be present at this facility. So those wraparound services are very important, and after we finish this, I'm going to walk you through the floor plan so that you can see exactly how that's situated and laid out and what that will look like for someone who's coming into the facility. Um, So lastly, in Lethbridge here, what does it look like? Uh, In other communities, you may have heard about the approvals in Edmonton or Calgary, for example. In those communities, because they're so large, supervised consumption services are being embedded into already existing agencies, and there will be a number of locations that offer those services in both Calgary and Edmonton. Now, the difference is that in Calgary and Edmonton, there are major primary mainstream healthcare facilities that are oriented towards these populations. So in downtown Calgary, there's the Sheldon Schumer. In downtown Edmonton, there's the Royal Alex. Both of those facilities are already extensively dealing with these populations, and so it makes sense to embed supervised consumption services into those locations. Those folks are already going there. The staff are well-versed in dealing with folks who are struggling with addictions. Uh, In Lethbridge, however, for us to embed these types of services into our hospital here, it just wouldn't work for a number of reasons. Number one, I don't think that your general average community member is going to be super excited about that prospect of going to the hospital and having interactions with that population, frankly. Um, also. The staff there are not well-versed. That's not their experience or background or education is to deal with people who are substance users. It's a very unique population and it does require some de-escalation skills and and some crisis management skills that your average nurse or doctor probably doesn't have. Um, And then lastly, the location. So when we completed our application for supervised consumption, one of the components of that, that application was a user needs health survey. What it is is basically a needs assessment So we surveyed 207 street-involved or homeless drug users in the community of Lethbridge, people who are already accessing Arches services, and we sat down with them and completed 90-minute questionnaires. (coughs) And that covered everything from their personal health history, their family health history, their history of abuse, trauma, violence, uh, their current drug use, what they use, where they use, how often they use. um, And then we asked questions about supervised consumption services. Would you use these supports? What time of day are you more, more likely to access these? supports um, all under these rules right so if this rule is in place are you still going to use this facility yes no so on so forth one of the things that we determined from that study was that people are not willing to walk because these people don't have transportation Uh, they're not willing to walk more than a kilometer to access these services so if it's at Chinook Regional Hospital and most of these folks are staying in the downtown core at the homeless shelter it's just it's not realistic to expect that it's going to be utilized and there's not much point in wasting the finances and the resources to embed these services somewhere where they're not going to be used and we're then not going to see the impact of them on the larger community. So Uh, We did speak about potentially embedding them into arches, where we currently are. Um, Our building, we are bursting at the seams currently. So like I said, we've gone from four staff to just shy of 20 staff uh, in two years, and we're in the same facility. So we've got multiple staff in the same offices, we're on top of each other. Um, So we didn't have the space for it. We also recognized it wouldn't be appropriate to embed those services into a residential neighborhood. I think everyone can agree that as a business owner, yes, it might be alarming to know that these services are being opened next door to your business. It's an entirely different thing to have it next to your home or, or where sleeping and spending your time. Uh, So we knew that that wasn't wasn't feasible. Uh, So then when we were looking at locations, we had three different locations that we were looking at. Um, The Lethbridge Family Services Immigrant Services location, the former Scotiabank location, and then the Pulse building. Uh, The reason that we weren't able to announce the facility until we had submitted the application uh, was because we didn't know what we were dealing with in terms of funding. So the the budget, the funding, the the money comes from the province because in Canada, our healthcare dollars are mandated provincially. Uh, When we look at the application, that needed to go to the federal government and Health Canada because our laws, our legislation, uh, drug laws are, are mandated nationally. So our money's coming from the province, but our approval to operate the facility, our inspections of the facility, our outcomes measurement, all of that, that goes off to the federal government and Health Canada. So we're, we kind of have two different bosses that we're working with. Um, so in order to get the most bang for our buck, we realized that we needed to be as close to the shelter as possible, and we needed something that we could lease within the kind of strategy of the, with the budget that we were given. So, that, those were the things that were the determining factors in the specific location. When we look at our local drug users, from the results from that study that we did, um, some of the statistics that we garnered were that 67% of our drug users had injected in public spaces. That's a significant statistic. So, almost 70% of people who are homeless or street-involved and are, are engaged in injection drug use had done so in public. Um, That speaks to the volume of needles that we're finding around the community and that's a really staggering number. Uh, 47%, so almost 50%, had witnessed needle sharing amongst their peers. So despite the knowledge that this is really terrible for us, people were still engaging in these behaviors. Um, 24% had experienced one or more non-fatal overdoses. So that's also significant. About a quarter of injection drug users have had an overdose. Many had had overdoses 10 plus times. Uh, And these statistics were only up for the last six months of their drug use. So this wasn't over the course of my life I've seen someone share a needle. This was within the past six months I've seen these things. Uh, 23% had unsafely disposed of their syringes. A quarter had cited uh, that difficulty getting sterile needles when needed uh, was the main reason that they had shared. So currently, Arches is only open from Monday, open to the public from Monday through Thursday, 8.30 to 4.30. That means that if I'm an intravenous drug user and I need needles on a Saturday, it's very difficult for me to get them. So I need to stock up before the weekend. Um, people also will sometimes ask, why do we hand out such volume of supplies? Is it really necessary to hand out 100 needles at a time? From this study, we learned that the average injection drug user uses anywhere from six to 10 times per day per 24 hour period. So, and I can see the reaction there. Um, So that means that if we, because we have our safe injection kits, they're called party packs on the street, that contains 10 of everything that's required for injection drug use. So people often ask, why don't you limit those to one per day? The reality is that people aren't going to walk to Arches once a day to pick up their supplies, and we're closed three days of the week, so we wouldn't be able to provide enough supplies for them if that were our operational strategy. Um, Oh, thank you. Uh, I've just been given the five minute mark here. Uh, 72% of people who typically use drugs, they use three or more times per day. And 82% of people that we surveyed stated that they would use these services. That's another argument or a question that we hear a lot is, is this realistically going to be used? Yeah, it is. 82% of the people we surveyed said, we would absolutely use these services if they existed in Lethbridge. Um, The other nice thing about embedding into Arches is that we already have established relationships. We already have that rapport and trust level with folks. We know that if this were embedded into, if it were just a brand new service and you know AHS hired brand new staff to come in, that it would take a while for, for that to pick up because it takes a while for people to trust that, oh, I'm, I'm not just gonna get arrested the minute I walk in the door, that kind of thing. Uh, we have those relationships, so we already have, have crossed that barrier. So in my last five minutes, I'm going to really quickly walk through the floor plan here. So I'm not sure how clear this is from the back of the room. Any of the gray spaces will, will not have. So those are not accessible to us. Um, there are two kind of halves to the building. They're not really halves, there's a third and then another two thirds. So this third here that's divided by this black line here, uh, this is the side of the facility that will be open from 9 a.m. until 2 a.m., seven days a week, 365 days a year. This main entry, um, if we're looking, so north is up here, so that's the street side of the facility, if you're familiar with it. This is the parking lot that exists between our facility and the Mission Thrift store next door. So this will be the main entry for the vast majority of our clients. They'll come through this door, this is like a receptionist, just like a doctor's office. Our receptionist who's sitting at this desk would say, hey Jill, how's it going, what can we do for you today? I as a client might say, uh, yeah, I'm here to access the Aboriginal cultural programming, so that round space that's right up there, circular in nature. Um, Aboriginal culture um, has some very specific requirements of their sacred spaces. One is that it needs to be circular in nature and that the door needs to face east. So we've designed that, we've designed this with those in mind. Um, we have a laundry facility and two showers. Up in the right-hand corner of that teal blue is a kitchen space, and then we have some computers so that people can work on resumes, they can apply for jobs, do vocational stuff. Uh, so they might say, I might say, I'm here to do my laundry, I'm here to shower, I'm here to access Aboriginal programming, cook myself some food, do some online job stuff, whatever the case. This blue space here is isn't one nursing clinic, The blue space of the same color up there is another nursing clinic. On this side, this nursing clinic will be oriented towards homeless and street-involved populations. So things like foot care. These folks, they don't change their shoes. They sleep with their shoes on. They don't have changes of socks. They're walking all day, every day, sometimes through inclement weather. So they get trench foot. They get pretty nasty feet. We can provide nursing foot care there. Uh, Wound care. So when abscesses need to be lanced and drained, Um, when prescriptions, when um, dressings need to be changed on things. We can also do the take-home naloxone training. So naloxone is the drug that will reverse the effects of an opioid overdose, and we do that training and distribution so that people can have those kits in order to save the lives of their friends and family. So those services will all operate out of our nursing clinic. If I come in and I say, I'm here and I'd like to smoke some crack. Okay, so if I've accessed the drug consumption side of the facility, which are these green spaces here, then we just ask me, what are you using? And that's a tricky one because oftentimes in this day and age people think they're using what they think isn't always what it actually is because many times it's laced with other substances, particularly fentanyl. But I would show how much I'm using. So again, only enough is allowed for personal consumption. I bring my own drugs in. We're not providing them for people. (coughs) Excuse me, thank you. Uh, I bring my own drugs in, so I have to show that I only have enough for personal consumption because drug dealing is, is zero tolerance. There's no drug sharing, so if I come in with a friend, we can't share my drugs. There's no drug trading and there's no drug dealing. I come in with however much I'm planning to use for personal consumption. So I tell them what it is, how much of it it is, and how I plan to use it. So either by injection, by inhalation, by ingestion, so taking a pill, or intranasally or through snorting. So then, if it's if it's my first time, I have some paperwork to fill out, just a basic intake form, my personal information, any extenuating healthcare care stuff that we need to know about, um, a waiver, so saying that you know I take full responsibility for my actions, uh, and then a code of conduct. So I have read and I agree to adhere to the policies of the facility. I would then be taken into this drug consumption space. Uh, when we compare this green drug consumption space to the larger facility, this has separate ventilation. The ventilation in the larger space turns over once every 10 minutes. So it's fresh, brand new air once every 10 minutes. So every, there's six times per hour. There are six booths here. That's where any of that injection, intranasal, or snorting, or ingestion, so the taking of pills, that's all going to take place at these six booths. It's blurry, but there's a kind of little island here. That's the nursing station. So we have two nurses that are sitting there. These booths are mirrored so that they can see from above, they can keep an eye on people's drug use using the mirrors as, a, as help. And then down here we have two inhalation rooms. So these are contained spaces within this larger space. Uh, they're glass-walled so that the nurses can observe without having to enter those rooms. Uh, There's no cross-drug use, so if one client comes in and says they'd like to smoke crack and we put them in this room, another client comes in and would like to smoke meth, we put them in this room. If a third person comes in and says they'd like to smoke heroin, we say sorry, you have to wait for one of these rooms to open up. So there's no cross-drug use within the same of these rooms. Uh, The ventilation within these rooms turns over once every four minutes, so 15 times per hour. If there were a medical crisis in here, the nurses have an emergency switch at the nursing station. They push the button, they give a verbal command for everyone to put their equipment down. They then, when they hit that button, uh, it automatically dumps the air. So it takes 20 seconds to have all brand new air in there. They would then go in and remove the person after that 20 seconds. They would remove the person and they would perform their emergency interventions out in this larger space. Also notable, this larger space is negative pressure compared to the rest of the building, so that when the doors open, air flows in rather than out. And these two inhalation rooms are negative pressure when compared to this larger green space as well. So same thing, none of the fumes will be coming out. After use, uh, a person moves into this darker green space, which is the observation area. They have to stay there for 15 minutes, uh, just to ensure that an overdose isn't incurred think I'm out of time. Some of the questions though I'm sure that will answer a lot more of the material but thank you everyone I hope we enjoy our meals and we'll be back in a half an hour. <laughs> wow that
0: was-